I'm uh, not really sure what you uh, what you call it. Uh, it's somewhere in between shame and embarrassment. The two turtle doves squawk in his hands. His 60 grit sandpaper palms press against their silky feathers, their wings unable to open. In her arms, wrapped in gentle cloth, softened by first century draft, newborn laundry detergent and fabric softener, the baby coos. It's been quite a trip, to say the least. It always is traveling with a newborn, even just down the block. Like, did you grab the diapers, the wipes, the bottle, the formula, the pacifier, the swaddle, the sound machine, the extra onesie, nursing cover, nursing blanket, boba wrap? But it was probably only six miles, Bethlehem to Jerusalem. But after long days of travel, and popping the baby out, and weeks away from the quarry for Joseph, the travel purse must have felt pretty light. Not much coin left. Like the credit cards are all maxed out, especially after the money changers at the temple upcharged them for the two birds. It classifies you, you know? The family walking across the smooth stone steps, they're, they're lower class. Two turtle doves, not a, not a lamb, nothing of great value, just the bare minimum. That's it, the simple requirement of the law. It classifies you here in the shadow of pillars, the flow of robes, and the, the rhythm of ritual. You're poor. You're out of towners. You're a, a struggling family by the looks of it, just scraping by. But there's something to be said about the simplicity of it. Buying the birds and bringing the baby. There's something to be said about the obedience of it. Whatever the cost, whatever the shame. What they do, this new family, it's as good as the smell wafting from the sacrificial altar. You know, the ancient Israelite Traeger or Green Egg or classic Weber barbecue. In an ancient world where a person's worth was based on wealth of the family or political power, this baby wrapped in gentle cloths will change everything. Today, as we enter into the story of Luke chapter 2, as we stand there on the temple steps, as we move past the pillars and out into the open courtyards, we're going to hear what worth is really about. I think that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the, the famous German theologian and pastor who stood up to Hitler and gave his life for doing so, I, I think he said it best that Christianity preaches the infinite worth of that which is seemingly worthless. I'll, I'll say that again. Christianity preaches the infinite worth of that which is seemingly worthless and the infinite worthlessness of that which is seemingly so valued. In other words, true worth looks a lot different than what our world values. You know, five golden rings, four calling birds, three French hens, two turtle doves, and a partridge in a pear tree. Well, on the eighth day of Christmas, and we're, we're talking real first century, no room at the end, Bethlehem Christmas. On the eighth day of Christmas, Luke 2, 21 begins. 
eight days later, that is after the birth, when the baby was circumcised, not quite the gift of eight maids of milkin we were expecting. No, on the eighth day of Christmas, circumcision. He was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. So Jews circumcise their baby boys when they're eight days old. I'll spare you the the demonstration, but in their tradition, it's special because it marks a boy quite literally as belonging to God and belonging to God's people. Not really sure why that is. I mean, I'm no expert in it. It just is. And then it's at this occasion that he's named Jesus, a name or or rather an identity that comes from the Hebrew name Yeshua, meaning to deliver or to rescue. Verse 22 continues and it says, Then it was time for their purification offering, as required by the law of Moses, after the birth of a child. Well, technically, it's Mary's purification offering. I mean, because she did all the work, you know, all the breathing and pushing and all of the the contractions. But why does it say their purification offering? Because, well, maybe Joseph played a part, maybe helped in the birthing process. Like, come on, Mary, you got it. Breathe, push. Come on, you're seven centimeters dilated. I, I don't know. But his parents here took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Basically, in ancient Israel, the birth of a baby boy, after it, the mom is ceremonially unclean for seven days. And then she undergoes a purification period of 33 days. During this time, she cannot enter the temple. This is what it says in Leviticus chapter 12. When the time of purification, 40 days, is completed for either a son or a daughter, Interestingly, it's twice as long for a baby girl. Why? I don't know. I guess because girls are twice as sweet. It's 80 days for the mother of a baby girl. But for the boy, here it says, the woman must bring a one-year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or turtle dove for a purification offering. The priest will then present them to the Lord to purify her. Then she will be ceremonially clean again after her bleeding at childbirth. And then catch this in verse 8. If a woman cannot afford to bring a lamb, she must bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons. One will be for the burnt offering and the other for the purification offering. So, so okay, uh, cool. Like some tradition that like welcomes mom back into the community of faith after the bliss of childbirth. You know, we may think all of this is harsh, these terms like uh, purification, unclean, impure, etc. But, but these terms, they don't mean sinful. They just classify. I mean, mom actually might need to recuperate for a few after nine months of build a baby and then childbirth, followed up by sleepless nights. Dad might even too, but the law here might actually be a way of protecting new moms. Verse 23, it says, The law of the Lord says, If a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. According to Exodus 22:29, firstborn baby boys belong to God. 
But instead of actually giving the baby boy as a sacrifice to God, you know, tossed up on the altar and burnt to a, a crisp, he would actually be bought back for the price of five shekels. I mean, this is the stuff that never makes it into the Christmas story. We never hear about this stuff when we talk about the birth of Jesus, especially this next part. It says a lot about Jesus and his upbringing. Verse 24, so they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. They offer two birds, silky feathered and squawking. Two birds because they're poor. They offer two birds because they couldn't afford a lamb. Ah, you may say, but what about the gifts, you know, that the, the wise guys from the East brought, you know, uh, gold and frankincense and myrrh? Are, are they just like saving it for Jesus' college education? Or, well, these wise guys from the East, they only appear in Matthew's gospel. So it causes us to consider why might Luke be leaving that part out? Maybe Luke's got his own purposes for leaving that part of the story out. The, the point is here that baby Jesus, Mary, and Joseph are poor. They cannot afford a lamb for the sacrifice. In an ancient world where a person's worth was based on family wealth or political power, they've got none. <laughs> no value. No assets. No investments. No savings. No 401k. No retirement. No worth. But as Bonhoeffer put it, Christianity preaches the infinite worth of that which is seemingly worthless. And the infinite worthlessness of that which is seemingly so valued. Infinite worth. <laughs> a few years back, I was in a Christian ethics course, and it was before class had begun, and I was, I was having a conversation with a classmate of mine. We were talking about life and hobbies, and then the topic of, of TV shows came up. And I remember bringing up a I don't even remember the show, but I just brought up a, a type of show, a bleak, dark murder mystery show. And I, I wish I could remember the name, but I can't. But I asked her, my classmate, hey, have you seen this show? And I'll never forget the look on her face when she told me, I can't bear to watch those shows after my best friend was murdered. <laughs> Man, it... It hit me like a ton of bricks. I felt like Wiley e. Coyote crushed under the weight of an anvil. Like her words hit me because it caused me to consider how crazy it is, how numb and callous maybe I've become to seeing death on TV. You know, this character killed off, this actor, this actress, no more. It's wild when you begin to stop and think about, like, this person or this character on this TV show had a history. They had a family, a memory, a hopes and dreams. They had worth. But maybe the problem's not just with TV. I've been listening to a podcast called Real Dictators that explores the hidden lives of history's most brutal tyrant. You know, Mao Zedong, Joseph Stalin, Adolf Hitler, Kim Jong-un. I guess I'm trying to learn leadership principles of what not to do. But I'll hear these statistics, like 40 million deaths, 
20 million deaths, 6 million deaths. And it's like life becomes but a number, just numbers. And I can't even make sense of it. How do you even imagine 40 million deaths? I I can't picture it. But when I come to understand that one of the 40 million was Zhao Qing, a soybean farmer from the eastern province. Or one of the, the 20 million was Vladimir, the electrician from that small village in Ukraine. Or one of the 6 million was Chaim, the clockmaker from Poland. There's a name to the number, a face to the figure, a person of worth to the stats. But maybe the problem's not just with TV or with history. Do you realize that 197 people have died in Ventura County due to coronavirus? But if my first thought after hearing that 197 people have died in Ventura County due to coronavirus, if my first thought is, well, comorbidities, or, well, how many people have died of cancer, or, well, how many people have died because of the seasonal flu? If that's my first thought, my concern might not be with the worth of 197 lives. Maybe the problem is not just with TV or with history. Maybe the problem's with me. I've become a statistician not a a Christian. I've lost sight of worth, the worth that the world sees as seemingly worthless. But who's really to say that our lives have worth anyways? Like what gives our lives true worth? Because all I see in this story here are are two poor out-of-towners, a struggling family with a brand new baby, barely scraping by. Verse 25 says, at that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah, that is the the Savior, to come and rescue Israel. Rescue from what? Yeah, the, the Roman oppression or something more. Yeah, both and more. Well, the Holy Spirit was upon him and he had and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. I mean, like how old is this dude? Verse 27 says, "That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to the pres- to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there." specifically in the court of the Gentiles or the court of women where Mary could go. This place was huge. It was the size of several football fields. It says he, that is Simeon, took the child in his arms and praised God saying, wait, (laughs) he just like took the baby in his arm, like stranger danger. They don't even know who he is. He just takes the baby, but the words that flow from his mouth speak of so much, so much worth. Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Yeah, but, you know, he's, he's just a baby boy. Simeon says otherwise. He he calls Jesus God's salvation, a light revealing God to the nations, the glory of Israel. That's a big deal. It 
probably shocks his parents too. The, the coffee-addicted, sleep-deprived zombies with the 40-day newborn. But it says in verse 33, Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Yeah, yeah, you know, the angel had said stuff earlier about how pre-embryo Jesus in Luke chapter 1 will be very great, and he will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever, his kingdom will never end. Okay, so like some political leader, like Mao or Stalin. No, no, God here uses this stranger, Simeon, to tell them of their baby's significance and infinite worth for the entire world. Verse 34 says, Then Simeon blessed them. That's probably like a a prayer, or maybe this is something tangible, like he, he gave them a check or cold hard cash. That's also what it means to bless. He blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Wow, I, uh, you know, I sort of like the, the first part better. You know, the, the good news only stuff about God's salvation, light to the nations, glory of Israel. But this dose here of reality, opposition difficulty, pain. This comes with the purpose and reason. This is involved in the infinite worth of who Jesus is, that the road will be difficult and dangerous. It will be painful and opposed, but it doesn't mean that it's not worth it. So are they just two poor out-of-towners, a struggling family with a brand new baby barely scraping by? Well, actually, This baby is infinite worth and is the reason and is the meaning of worth in our lives. He is God's salvation, light to the nations, glory of Israel. He is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He is Emmanuel, God with us, the good news of great joy for all people. He is infinite worth that brings infinite worth to our lives. I think our two-and-a-half-year-old Zeke has uh, more Bible verses memorized than me. A a huge thanks to the fantastic children's ministry, Kids Rock, that Ashley and the whole crew puts on. Like Even distanced by COVID-19, Zeke is all about watching the kids' program. He calls it Bible, and it's like crack cocaine for him. He's like, more Bible, more Bible, more Bible, please, more Bible. And it all started with a verse from Psalm 139, verse 13. And he he made up like some hand motions to go with it too. And he grabs his throat and like chokes himself and says, I am fearily and wonderly and fearily and wonderly made. And funny how easy it is to forget that the worth, the worth of our lives. You know, I I think it's one thing to know the worth of being a created being, created by God, given value, meaning purpose, but that worth becomes something so much more infinite 
when we know and love and serve and are in relationship with Jesus, the one of infinite worth. Our lives have worth because God said so, but more than that, because he is that worth. And he showed us that it was true because he embraced it, us in the flesh, taking on our very likeness. It's something we can't keep quiet, something we can't keep under wraps like Anna in verse 36. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. So if folks in the ancient world got married real young because life expectancy was really short, Anna is really, really old. And she's also been a widow for a really, really long time. It says she never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. You might be like, girl, you got to get a life. But this is, this is her niche. This is her calling. This is her purpose. This is where she feels that she is living out her her God-given purpose. I mean, it shows us that she's completely devoted to God. It says, she came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. What, what does that mean? Like singing, dancing, tap dancing, macarena, whip, nanny. I, I don't know, but it, what I think it is, is showing us is that she can't keep quiet about it. It says, she talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Simeon and Anna here, they show faith at its finest. Faith at its very best, full focus on what is of infinite worth. The baby wrapped in gentle cloths. When Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. There the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom and God's favor was on him. My uh, grandmother died on September 14th. And Zeke and I visited my grandpa this last week. And my grandpa, he kept trying to give me uh, my grandma's clothes because he thought my wife, Tara, might like to have them. Like, I, I told him, like, you know what? That, that's very kind, but it would probably be a bad move on my part. Like, I don't even, I should be on that show, What Not to Wear. I have no idea. So instead, I said, you know what? Sure, I'll take a... I'll take a box of scarves and, uh, yeah, okay, I'll take that old book right there. It was a well-worn book with a torn cover, the daily devotional called Jesus Calling. And that day when I got home, I flipped through the pages of the book. And there, in between page 100 and 101, a note for you. Literally, a business card-sized piece of paper that said, a note for you. And written on the piece of paper in red ink, cursive, slanted to the upper right, it said the following, cradled in hope, kept in joy, graced with peace, and wrapped in love. 
And I Googled it because I thought it sounded really smart. And I wanted to see, like, you know, where did she read this or where did she hear this? And all I could find is that it was a, a prayer that knitting ministries would often attach to their scarves and shawls that they give out to those in need. But I had never known my grandma to be a knitter. Maybe she just, you know, liked these words and so she wrote them down. And then it hit me. But not like a ton of bricks or like Wiley Coyote crushed under the weight of an anvil. It hit me like a truth in my guts, like a knowing in my bones that this a note for you is a note for you. Sure, I am fearly and wonderly and fearly and wonderly made. Sure, I have the worth of being a created being, created by God, given value and worth and meaning and purpose. But do I see me as God sees me? Do you see you as God sees you, cradled in hope, kept in joy, graced with peace, and wrapped in love, like a baby wrapped in gentle cloths, but with the potential to change everything? Our lives have worth because God said so, but more than that, because he is that worth. And he showed us that it was true because he embraced it, us in the flesh, taking on our very likeness. And there has never been a moment, nor will there ever be, that God has not and will not keep you cradled in hope, kept in joy, graced with peace and wrapped in love. And knowing this, should make all the difference. In an ancient world not so different than ours, where a person's worth was based on their family wealth or political power, Jesus changed the entire course of history by coming for all people, reminding us that rich, poor, gay, straight, Republican, Democrat, black, white, brown, whatever, you have value, you have worth because God said so, but more than that, because he is that worth. And he showed us it was true because he embraced us, us in the flesh, taking on our very likeness and giving his life so that we could know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are fearfully and wonderly, wonderfully made. So also is the person who you can't stand at work also is that annoying kid in your class that you're sick of. It's always on your nerves. So is the lousy driver in the parking lot. But if only we would see that in God, we are cradled in hope, kept in joy, graced with peace and wrapped in love. If only we would see that in God, we have our value and our worth. We might see that true worth looks a lot different than what our world values. You know, it's not five golden rings Four calling birds, three French hens, two turtle doves, and a partridge in a pear tree is Jesus Christ. God's salvation, the light revealing God to the nations, the glory of Israel. It's a baby with parents too poor to pay for anything more than two birds. But man, are they faithful to fulfill the law and honor God and even more, the God incarnate in the flesh, eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus, cradled in the hope, kept in joy, graced with peace and wrapped in love there in their arms. The one who coos and cries, but his name is Yeshua and he has come to deliver, to rescue. If only we would see that in him is our true worth alone. 
And that the one who has God and everything else has no more than the one who has God only. If only we would see the infinite worthlessness of what our world values, wealth and pride and power, prestige, personal gain and glory. If only we would see that the infinite worth and the seemingly worthless is by far the only thing of worth. We would see that the value of Jesus in our lives outweighs it all. And it changes everything. A baby cradled in hope, kept in joy, graced with peace and wrapped in love has truly shown us that we ourselves are, always have been and always will be cradled in hope, kept in joy, graced with peace and wrapped in love. So maybe it's time to tell the world about it, that there's a worth beyond any this world has to offer. It's Jesus and maybe he's what worth is really about. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we give you thanks. We give you praise for the gift of Jesus in our lives. A baby who came to change and transform. This is no ordinary baby. This is you, Lord, becoming human, becoming flesh and blood to save us, to point us back to you, to remind us that we have worth because you have given it. And our worth is completely found in you. I pray, Lord, if someone here today online wants to experience you, that they would open up their hearts and say, Father, would you come in? Holy Spirit, flood my life. Jesus, you died on that cross after becoming just like us. You bore my sin. You bore my shame. You bore my embarrassment. Come into my life. Become my king because you didn't die and stay dead. You rose from the grave, defeating death. To remind them that they are loved, that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.